We are, I'll speak for myself, I think a lot of you know Eitan, absolutely delighted to have Eitan Shishkov here. Um, Eitan, by the way, uh, prayed over me when I dedicated my life to serve the Lord full-time in Messianic Jewish ministry uh, a couple of days ago. 1987, actually, and he's been a wonderful friend, brother, mentor, part of our mishpacha in lots of ways, and um, we are grateful to have him uh, this week. Uh, his own father passed away, and uh, he's going to share the word of God and share his heart with us. So, Eitan, would you please come? We praise you, Lord, for your word that is alive and powerfully active and sharper than two-edged sword. We pray, Lord God, that you, your spirit would put your word in Eitan's mouth and anoint his lips to speak your word with power, with authority, with conviction. And Lord God, that each one of us listening, would hear your word and embrace it eagerly and that your word will bear much fruit in our lives. In Yeshua's name, amen. I am. Uh, I found myself in a, an unusual position. Um, when a close family member dies, as many of you know, uh, we have uh, a custom called sitting shiva, Shiva from the, the word that means seven, uh, because there's seven days of uh, setting oneself aside, uh, kind of taking a break from life, from the world, being able to um, devote oneself to uh, a proper and healthy and, and loving and honoring uh, time of mourning, uh, a sort of a retreat from responsibility. Other people generally take care of things for the mourner. And as you notice, I'm, I'm not sitting, I'm standing. Uh, I'm standing, Shiva, right now because um, I, I had a decision to make whether to stay with my sister uh, and her husband in Portland, Oregon, where my father was living and, and where we were with him when he passed away, uh, who are not yet believers, uh, and say, Yeshua uh, Tzion, I'll come another time. Um, I'll, I'll pass on Denver. Uh, it was part of a schedule that I had uh, already worked out uh, before coming to the States and before my father's uh, decline. But um, I wanted to be with you uh, because you're my family in the Messiah and uh, this man and his wife and uh, his grandson uh, are especially my family because of the, the fathering that I received from Eliezer. So um, I want to uh, approach this time very open-heartedly, very vulnerably, and uh, attempt to blend uh, what I'm walking through personally with um, the Word of God and, and with His exhortation and encouragement to all of us, which, of course, we need. I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure I know about you, but I know about me. I come to... Uh, to worship on Shabbat 
to get refueled and to get refocused and to remember what it's all about. So uh, Chaim has prayed. I've been praying, praying and we've been worshiping. So I believe that's going to happen. It's also quite um, striking that we were within several days of Tishba Av and, uh, and had that time of reflection about that today, which of course is uh, uh, way beyond a personal mourning, uh, but a, a national and historic mourning. Although I've been learning some things about mourning, my mom also passed away just three and a half months ago. So both of my folks have uh, made their exit from this life within the last um, uh, number of, of months. And um, uh, they both lived a long time, 94 years, no complaints about that. Um, but it doesn't matter, does it? Because uh, death uh, is, um, is that uh, demarcation. Um, and uh, what I want to do is um, really allow that uh, allow some of that sober reality uh, to sink into me. I think that's part of, of Shiva. I think that it's a time of considering. I think it's a time of, of reevaluation, and it's a time of realignment of our priorities. I found that very strongly after my mom died in April. Um, and really, of all things, she died on the first day of Pesach. So I finished... Uh, an all-time record short Seder in my home and then uh, took off for the, the, uh, the airport in Tel Aviv and, and flew. And because of the, the difference in time, um, it was still the first day of Pesach when I, when I got there. Um, so, you know, the interweaving of, of, uh, of the calendar of the Lord with, with our personal lives is, is very appropriate. And, uh, and helps give us punctuation marks. Um, there's a verse that uh, gripped me uh, in the book of Revelation in my readings the other day. And uh, what I want to do is just take a portion of it. And uh, I'm acknowledging immediately that I'm, I'm ripping it out of context. But I'm just uh, saying that there was something about it that grabbed me. And I take that as being when God makes something alive, as long as you don't try to force it and say uh, that this is what the author intended, but the author, also being the Holy Spirit, can take a phrase and, uh, and do something with that. So the phrase is in Revelation chapter 18 and verse 14. This is not uh, sort of the larger text. There's a portion of Scripture that I want to um, spend most of our time in, but it's kind of a, a launching point. This is Revelation 18, obviously... Uh, late in the book and late in the process uh, of the upheaval that the earth uh, will undergo. And um, uh, it's speaking about Babylon and talking about the, uh, the, the, the utter disappointment of the people there who have been living in, in luxurious idolatry and denial of the, uh, the goodness and the authority of God. And the phrase at the beginning of verse 14 is, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And that phrase just did something inside of me, the fruit that your soul longed for. Now, uh, if we're walking with Yeshua, if he has given us uh, light in our eyes to see him and to know him, then he does something inside of us, doesn't he, 
where we want to bear fruit. Uh, John 15 talks about this a lot. And uh, Yeshua says this is, this is the way it's supposed to work, is that you bear fruit and that you can even bear much fruit. The, the fruit that our soul longs for, that in some ways sounds like something outward, but um, as I am watching life go by and, and, and now uh, seeing both of my parents pass from this earth, I'm convinced that the most important fruit uh, is spoken of in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, the things of love and joy and peace and kindness and long-suffering and patience, uh, those qualities of, of internal reality. And, of course, we don't just live inside of ourselves. We also deal with external realities of life. But those external realities, if we encounter them, uh, with a yielded heart and looking to the Lord and giving Him praise even when things look dark, which is in a way what the Kaddish is, is that we're, we're glorifying God. I mean, have you ever read or seen a prayer that had so many words that had to do with giving glory and giving praise and singing? I mean, it doesn't really seem like the thing that naturally you would do, you know, if you're in a time of grief. But I believe that our tradition rightly assigns that response, that in the face of grief and loss, we turn back to God uh, to become impressed in a new way with, uh, with all that he is and, and rediscover who he is. Amen. Thank you. Uh, uh, by the way, I'll, I'll invite that, more amens. The more amens, the better. And uh, even if you say, what are you talking about? That, that wouldn't hurt my feelings. Actually, it's, it's better to say, what do you mean? Than uh, you know, than to fall asleep. So, you know, just a <laughs> little bit of coaching. Uh, hallelujah! Uh, you know, it's it was interesting that James talked about his 40th anniversary as a believer, because this is also factoring into this thing of the fruit that your soul longs for. Um, somewhere during this this past week of of spending time at my father's bedside, and and then of. Uh, watching him depart, um, I thought about the fact that next year, not this year, you're ahead of me, James, but in just one more year, 2012, will mark 40 years for me of, of having discovered uh, Yeshua and receiving him. Um, and that really blows my mind, to use the good old hippie phrase, because um, it's a long time, and it's a long time for God to be working on you. And uh, you sort of want to say, okay, I hope something's happened in those 40 years. And I believe that some things have happened, um, that his transforming work has been taking place. And, uh, of course, that doesn't stop, does it? Uh, and that's, I think that's the emphasis. One of the things that God wanted me to share with you and to encourage you is that uh, you know this already, but I, I want to just underscore it. We are in process and that process and giving ourselves to that process and recognizing that, that he's changing us day by day, that we're being transformed from an image that's been uh, marred and, and inadequate and not really reflecting who he is to, uh, to the image of God that he created us in and, and, and always intended for us to, to reflect that. I mean, uh, this is kind of uh, really a cool thought is that if I look at each of you and I think about each of you as your ideal self, as fully radiating 
the glory of God in the way that He intended and how He created your soul and how He, he gave you a coloration, uh, how He gave you uh, a flavor and uh, uh, even a, a nuanced, um, uh, what do I want to say? I'm thinking in electric terms. I'm, I'm trying to avoid the word vibration, but I keep coming back to it. And uh, you're going to say, uh, Chaim, please don't invite that ex-hippie guy back again. He just, he can't get away from the terminology. Vibration, blowing your mind. I mean, please, it's not the 60s anymore. Um, but, you know, oscillation. There we go, oscillation. That there's, there's some, uh, okay, waves. Yeah, we think of, of waves of, of, uh, of electricity and power. All of that is resident inside of us. God created each one of you with, with, with some, there's a calibration inside of there that when lined up with him, with lined up with the, the central source of creative power, then radiates that into, uh, into the rest of the world. This brother right here is getting it, the flowered shirt. And, and uh, my brother, with, we're fellow graybeards, aren't we? But young at heart, I see it. So um, that's, a, that's a very vital understanding uh, because this work that's going on is to bring us to that place. Um, you know, we could ask the question, how have I changed? And how further does God want me to change? What are the, what are the aspects of my life that are still being constructed? Uh, what are the things that I can celebrate? Um, there are aspects of who I used to be that, that are not there anymore, some blockades that have been removed, sometimes that God has helped me to forgive people. That's one of the ones I'm working on, uh, has, has helped me less compare myself with others, another one that he's been working on in my life. Um, the ability to be honest, uh, the ability to be secure uh, in ourselves. And um, I've been trying to uh, figure out exactly when I could uh, show you a bit of a family album. It doesn't fit very uh, smoothly into any of this, but this is probably as good a time as any, and it's a timed, it's a timed thing. So uh, I won't be sitting here describing every slide and taking really a long time. But since we haven't been together in a while, and a lot has been happening, and the most important thing is that our, our family has been growing wonderfully, um, I've asked Isaac to help me put this on. I'm going to kind of stand to the side and I might throw in a comment or two. But uh, before, before we do, I just want to say that um, as much as anything else, maybe tandem with um, this time of Shiva uh, to share that with you and for you to be standing with me, which I've already felt that, uh, is, to, is to share my, my family life and uh, what what God has given us um, in Eretz Yisrael. Because he's done so much and uh, because it's really miraculous and because um, without folks like yourself who've been praying and who've been sending finances and occasionally coming, I want you to come more. There's a uh, some information on a table out there about a, a time of a gathering together. Uh, it's a combination of tour and conference that we hold about every year and a half or so. And this one is called Baruch Haba. 
And uh, some of us, myself, uh, uh, Mark Chapinski, uh, Gary was asking about Mark, and um, Moshe Morrison and others, we basically travel with those who come for uh, a solid nine or ten days. So we're just together and eating meals and praying and singing and seeing things in Israel that God has done um, in our congregations, uh, but also seeing some of the places that if you've never been to Israel, you should not go home without seeing. Anyway, the information's out there on the table. Uh, we've, we, we don't make money off of this thing. It's just we, we love to bring people. People come from many nations. Last time uh, there were 19 countries represented, uh, including people from Africa and Asia. And uh, it's really, really a special time. So that's one of the ways to... Um, keep building the relationship that's already very deep and why I have the freedom to, to go pretty soft on you at the moment. So, um, Isaac, I think you better start before I, I become a puddle behind the pulpit. Our vision that was given to me by God in a, in a, uh, a visionary experience over 20 years ago was to establish an oasis in the desert where people could come and receive financial aid and uh, spiritual healing and rebirth. This is where we're located in northern Israel. The yellow dot is Kiryat Yam, where our headquarters are. And we live in an area that was bombed heavily, of course, five years ago um, in the war. Unfortunately, in Israel, there's uh, pretty much always that threat existing. This is a demonstration against Messianic Jews that took place in Ashdod not long ago. You can see the, the massive... Um, ultra-Orthodox opposition. It's not like that in all the country, but it is a factor that's growing. This is a shuk, a bazaar, not far from where we live, where poor immigrants come uh, to get food. This is my sweetie, Connie. Uh, we've been married now 42 years, and God has granted us four children and nine grandchildren. This is our tribe here, and all but the young man on the far right, who is the brother of our son-in-law, who's from Boy, this thing is really going fast <laughs> from uh, uh, Ethiopia. Avi Shalom is my associate leader and about to become the senior leader next year. We're in a transition to the next generation, which we pre believe radically. This is our home area, the Cryote in the Haifa Bay, where we've lived for almost 19 years. This is the inside of our sanctuary. Uh, we had lots of visitors that day. It was a bat mitzvah, and um, we we're located in an industrial area. Uh, where we can make all the noise we want to on Shabbat. This is one of my spiritual sons. He came from Belarus and has planted two of our five congregations. Uh, his main congregation is in Haifa. This is overlooking uh, the Haifa Bay, the largest port in Israel. And his congregation has established, this is a building we're seeking to help him buy uh, in downtown um, Haifa. Uh, he reaches out to Holocaust survivors, uh, feeds the hungry. He's got a soup kitchen in Haifa and in Nazareth where he planted another congregation that's part of our work. Uh, there's also food distribution. This is Upper Nazareth, Natsrat Elit, where... Okay, all right. Um, well, this was the dedication service of that congregation. And this is a... There's an outreach here to uh, mostly Russian-speaking immigrants who've really transformed the face of the body of Messiah in the land. Another spiritual son, a man named Guy Cohen with his wife Tali who planted a work in Akko and uh, he grew up in Akko and spent five years there in a, a Hasidic movement. So he's the real deal as they say in Denver. Uh, this is his city, uh, Akko, which is mixed Arab and Jewish and has had continuous 
um, residence for over 5,000 years. This is a sanctuary that has already been paid for that they bought uh, on the outskirts of Akko. And uh, I love raising up men and women in the Lord and imparting um, just uh, confidence and uh, the fact that, that these young men have a, a calling on their life. And it's been an incredible thing to see. Eric and Terry are also part of our network. Their congregation is in Poria Elite, overlooking the Kineret, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they're veterans in the land, planted a congregation five years ago, six now. This is, uh, of course, a familiar sight to you, the Torah. Uh, and this was the bat mitzvah of a young Ethiopian Jewish woman uh, whose father and mother divorced, but the father came to the bat mitzvah. He's not yet a believer and said, I never saw how Yeshua and the Torah went together before today. So it's a profound thing that God does through what you do here. Uh, you need to be encouraged. There's some 100,000 Ethiopian Jews in Israel. My son-in-law is one of them, a phenomenally gifted young man who's directing our humanitarian aid. Here he's giving humanitarian aid out uh, to a needy family. This is what it will look like on many of the days uh, in our facility. We distribute food, clothing, uh, furniture, uh, and uh, we have been in direct relationship with the local city government. This was a day that we cooperated with them to distribute massive humanitarian aid for Pesach. And it's an amazing thing, the favor that God has given us with the local uh, city officials because you would think Messianic Jews are not really politically uh, kosher uh, for most governments in Israel. That's true. But through humanitarian aid, we have found that uh, these governments are open and uh, we work with them. It breaks down the barriers. We love children and work with them. We just conclude, oh, that's my daughter there in the blue T-shirt, Sigal, my 18-year-old. I'll tell you more about her in a moment. Uh, we have a, a summer camp that, that has about 60, 65 kids. It just ended yesterday, every summer. This is out on my son and daughter-in-law's uh, olive grove. The name of it, Zayat Ra'anan, uh, which is the refreshing olive. And they make bricks during Pesach. They uh, invite young people out from the cities who know nothing of olive trees and grapevines and dirt even uh, to reconnect with the land. This has been their dream and God's fulfilling it. Uh, of course, this is a young soldier from our congregation uh, during the time it was probably his swearing-in ceremony. These are his folks uh, who came from Ukraine, and uh, it's an amazing melting pot. Uh, the Israeli army brings our young people into contact with young people from all over the country. This is Moshe's daughter, Natanya, who's serving uh, as well as my daughter's best friend. My daughter just went into the army two weeks ago, my Sigal, who was born three months after we arrived at Israel, so that gives you a sense of the time. Young people love to worship, and uh, we uh, just want to foster that as much as we can. God directed my attention over 10 years ago to the, the teenagers of Israel and our own. Uh, we had a very small teen group at that time, and I felt that this was uh, where I needed to invest time because of the great harvest that's coming. We need workers and leaders for the final harvest. So the Lord gave us a ministry called Katsir, which had been developing over years, to reach out. These are secular young people in Tel Aviv uh, who are lost and they, they're looking for joy. They're looking for a good time. You can see that. And these are Messianic believers, our young people who are celebrating their salvation. This is not, that picture just gets me. The name of this ministry is Katsir and it's a uh, national multi-congregational ministry uh, that has been unfolding. Here's one of our camps. Uh, these camps run every summer, Hanukkah and Pesach. And um, there's quite uh, a work going on in Eretz Israel 
among the teenage people. I want to encourage those of you who are uh, preteen and teen today. Your life counts so much. You are uh, absolutely the uh, the focal point of of the work of God. I'm not saying that God's not working among your moms and dads, uh, but we love and care for you, and uh, we feel that whatever is needed uh, to draw you into uh, involvement, to draw you in and to prioritize, uh, I like to say to young people that it's important to ask questions, um, uh, particularly in teenage years, but also uh, when a person is uh, generally in their early 20s. Of course, some of us, uh, for the, our whole lives, we're asking questions is what I'm trying to get around to saying is that asking questions is important. Um, uh, I have, I said we had four children. Two of our kids were born in our 20s, so uh, one of them is 41 and the other is 38, and they're the ones that have all these wonderful grandbabies. Um, David and Orit uh, have five sons now, and Hannah and Avishalom. I have two girls and two boys. So we're not lacking for grandchildren, but we still have two more kids that are not married. And, uh, and, and those children waited until we were in our 40s to be born. I don't know. This is probably, this is not accurate um, theologically. So turn off your theological recorders. But maybe the second two waited, you know, to see if we were going to be decent parents, you know, before they <laughs> said, well, they're finally in their 40s. Maybe they got some of this stuff together. So Avi and Sigal were born in our 40s, and they're now 23 and 18, and uh, they're not married yet. So I, th- I think we have a good chance to break on into the double-digit figures. Um, the other sets of parents are hoping things slow down for quite a while. Uh, five and four, it's a good, uh, good, some good numbers for them. But um, where was I? Uh, the young people... So uh, our son, Avi, is 23, and uh, he already two years ago finished three years of combat duty. Um, Lee remembers Avi when he was just a tiny little guy, and uh, now he's a a strapping young uh, Israeli believer trying to find what God wants him to do with the rest of his life. So so you could pray for him, but, but he's asking questions. And, uh, and questions are so important. That's what I was trying to get across to the young people. And, and to your parents. Parents, don't be uh, shocked. Don't be turned off. Don't be nervous. Don't be um, offended when your kids ask questions. Uh, particularly young people that grow up in a congregational environment need to be able to uh, discover the Lord for themselves. Am I right, Rabbi? And, and sometimes that takes time. Be patient. Love them. And uh, do what you can to answer their questions. Send them to the congregation leader. Send them to someone. Uh, encourage them to get input uh, from, from wise uh, moms and dads in the Lord. So all of that was kind of a parenthesis because when I finish uh, this series of pictures um, and it's focused on young people, that's not an accident. I set it up that way because I really, really love you. I really, really want to encourage you. You're walking through a time that's not easy. It's harder to be uh, a person who is a youth today than at any time in history. That might sound like a cliche, but it's really, really true. Uh, The distractions, the weirdness, um, the disconnect uh, from uh, just um, a a calm, 
measured life is, is, uh, you know, is wild. Uh, but God is with you, and he loves you, and, uh, and you have tremendous promise. Uh, those of you that are finding some areas to serve, that's a great place to start. And I didn't t- intend to say all this, but I really feel inspired, and it spi- inspires me to look at you and to, um, and to really address you directly. You're so precious to Yeshua. And even when you're confused, maybe especially when you're confused, you're precious to him. You never stop being precious. He never stops caring for you. He doesn't turn his face away when you're having a bad day, when you're depressed, when you're mad, when nobody seems to understand you. There's a beautiful song I want to recommend for you. I almost feel like I need to start carrying this song around on little flash drives or something and, and giving it to people. It's called I Knew What I Was Getting Into. I don't know if any of you have heard it. Uh, Misty Edwards from IHOP in Kansas City. I think she wrote it. She sings it. It's incredible. It's all about the fact that Yeshua knew entirely what he was getting into when he called us and when he, he knew us. And, and even now, when we're, we're stumbling, lurching forward, seeking to be that reflection of his light and falling short, um, but that he knew what he was getting into. And, and uh, one of the lines is so great. It says, if you don't quit, you win. That's what that's for you. If you don't quit, you win. Hallelujah. So I want to ask a question. You can be turning to Isaiah chapter 6 in your Bibles. And my question is this. Is our spiritual life primarily a list of propositions that we affirm? Or is it along with that? Because, of course, it is a list of truths that we affirm, believe in, embrace, and live by. Or is it day by day for a lifetime experiencing the magnetic love of God that captures our heart and inspires us to radically yield everything to the lover of our soul. Now, obviously, the way I've asked the question, I've given you the answer. Um, This doesn't mean to depart from sound doctrine. But what it means is, what I was referring to earlier is that God chooses us, he reaches out, he rescues us, he reveals himself to us. Um, And if that didn't happen for you in a dramatic way, it still is a dramatic thing. For me, it happened very dramatically. I saw Yeshua on the cross. It was extremely dramatic. I had no expectation of seeing that. I was at a a desperate place in my life. It's interesting. It also connects with, with death. This was the death of my close friend when we were doing the hippie mountain commune thing. Um, But even if you didn't have a vision or a revelation or a thunderbolt of realization, it's still dramatic. When it happens in the most quiet way, when it happens, if you were a young child, some people come to faith when they're they're little. They have the advantage of a believing family and they, they can't tell you the day that they decided to follow Jesus. They can't tell you that. But still it's dramatic. This this changing, uh, this dynamic is something that I believe um, is so important for us to recapture and on a regular basis because uh, we become disillusioned very easily. The weight of the world around us, uh, the, the nature of negativity. As I mentioned, I've been with my, uh, my sister and her husband for the last week and... Um, 
the news has not been very happy. I don't know when the news is ever happy. Usually that's not what gets on the news. Uh, But this last week, uh, it's just been so focused on, you know, trillions of dollars that our country, uh, you know, is is behind. I mean, I get a little bit concerned when I fall behind, you know, in in my bank account by, you know, uh, a few hundred shekels or, you know, maybe if, if things are really rough, you know, several thousand. But generally, I'm able to pull in the belt and, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and it works out, but several trillion? I don't think so. So it's just been very heavy, and, and their political opinions are very strong. And not to get off on that, but the, the atmosphere of the world is heavy. And, and the stuff that happens in our life uh, is also heavy. And there's nobody here uh, that can evade, evade responsibility. All of you are carrying responsibilities. All of you are, are caring, whether it's for children, whether it's for parents, uh, whether it's a job, whether it's studies, whether it's health difficulties or whether it's relational difficulties. There, there are all these things that are going on. Each one of you is this uh, universe, this microcosm of, of, of things that are happening. And at the same time, you're reaching out. You know, you, you're... you're you're, you're spending a valuable Shabbat morning, now a little bit after the morning, uh, in, in the basement of, of a, a house of God because you're saying, I've got to have something that's not resident within me. And that something that's not resident within me uh, is, is, is imperative for me to walk in the, in the midst of the world, in the midst of the jungle and the cloud that's here on the world. So I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 6, and we're just, this is going to be uh, in the form of an exhortation, devotional, uh, not attempting to to give a big, long teaching uh, for the sake of time, uh, but also because sometimes uh, less is more, and short can be beautiful. All those short people out there agree with me. All right. Isaiah chapter 6, familiar territory, most likely to many of you. When this popped into my head this morning, I thought, nah, that's too familiar. And I've always already learned that, you know, oftentimes it's the portions of the Bible that we've already um, become familiar with that can become a wonderful lyric, can become a wonderful uh, framework for God to speak to us because you don't have to work too hard. You know the story. And uh, it begins very simply and very powerfully. Bishnat mot amelech uziau ve'ere et Adonai yoshev al kisei ram vanisa v'shulav mleim et ha'echal. In the year that King, we say Uzziah, in English it's Uziau in Hebrew, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and two his feet. With two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. If you remember this in Hebrew, I'm sure that you say it. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Adonai tzvaot. Melokol, melokol haaretz. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the voice 
the house, excuse me, was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let's stop there. The first phrase is very significant in the year that King Uziao died because Uziao had been an effective king. He'd helped bring Judah to a place of peace and prosperity. And uh, this, obviously, this came into my mind because I was thinking about uh, my father dying, not that my father was a king, but just the concept of what happens when someone who is significant uh, in your life dies. And so I want to kind of shift the tension away from the history of, of, the, of Judah, that portion of, of Israel. Of course, uh, uh, the country had already split into two, uh, the north and the south, uh, Israel and Judah. But I want you to, want to invite you to reflect in your own life on um, t- uh, times, or maybe it's a time like that now, of disillusionment, a time when it seems that, that former hopes uh, have become uh, dissolved or diluted would be a better word. A time when the things that you expected to happen has not happened, when the ideals that you uh, set yourself to live for, uh, it's been tough to maintain them, um, that people that perhaps you had counted on and depended on didn't exactly come through for you and uh, it's not been easy to recover. There are all kinds of scenarios that I can stand here and describe, but those are just enough to get you rolling within yourself. Don't feel that you're failing to pay attention to me if you wander into your own thoughts and begin to connect with stuff in your life. That's what I'm here for. I'm not standing here to give you some uh, drash that, that impresses you because I can't do that anyway. Um, uh, I'm here for you to connect the Word of God with the actual stuff that's happening in your life. And if it's not relevant, when Chaim was up here praying for me, I wanted to shout out the other, the other word. He had a, a nice list of things that he was praying, and I wanted to say, and relevant, <laughs> because, because it, it, you know, I guess there is such a thing as abstract truth, but on the other hand, um, that's abstract truth is not what, what God is, is after for us. He wants to make his truth visible. He wants to make it livable. He wants to make it connectable. And that's the awesome thing about the Bible. Remember, I, I made mention of that phrase from Revelation before. Well, that's, that's okay. That's, that's part of the, the, the creative ability of God. It doesn't mean we're changing scriptures. It doesn't mean we're doing damage to the, the, the how should I say, the monumental, unchangeable truth of God. That's there. We have to have that rock. I'm not talking about subjective interpretation, but I'm, I'm talking about the uh, the the making alive the the God breathed, you know it says uh, in First Timothy uh, that all Scripture is breathed on by God, inspired is what it means, right? Respiration is a word that comes from that breathing. So, Father, keep breathing on this and breathe on us, breathe on us by your Spirit that we might hear what it is that you're saying to us. Where are the places that you want us to connect, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be released, to be healed? Uh, to be liberated, Father. There are chains that are on us that need to come off. Lord, there are regrets that we need to wash in the blood of Messiah. There are people that we have stuff against that we need to release by forgiving. There are things that we need to ask forgiveness of. Abba, deal with all of that in our lives. 
just while I'm standing here. Right now, I know that you can do that. That's what you do so well. So this is a, it's a time of um, kind of a watershed right here. And um, so what happens is that God reveals himself. Now, when Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, it's not because he decided to put on the right pair of glasses that morning. You, you understand that, don't you? It's not because he was using the best telescope available. I'm, I'm being uh, facetious. Forgive me. It's because God revealed himself to Isaiah. But of course, Isaiah had a heart to seek him. We know that. I saw the Lord. Now, there's a reference in, in the Gospel of John uh, that indicates by the Spirit that this was what, that what, Yeshua, what Isaiah was seeing was Yeshua. Uh, the glory of God is revealed in the face of Messiah, we read in 2 Corinthians. The, the visible manifestation of the God of Israel is Yeshua HaMashiach. So on some level, and I, 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 I'm not, I, I, can't even, I can't even grasp it. I'm not saying that it, was, that it was, was only in just Yeshua because there's something that's so magnificent here. It's, it's, that, it's that mystery of the Godhead that Shaul also refers to. Um, but this is, this is what uh, I felt um, the Lord shared with me looking at this passage earlier. And that is that... Um, when we're at a watershed, when we're in a time of questions and confusion, when we're at a time of indecision, when we're in a time uh, that um, our natural strength is low, when we're at a time when circumstances seem to be colliding and, and maybe we feel like, uh, you know, I don't know, young people probably haven't seen this or maybe there's been a, a renaissance of them, but older people remember a, a pinball machine. And, and our life sometimes is like a pinball machine, isn't it? And with the pinball machine, that thing is just bouncing all over the place. It's just ricocheting everywhere. Uh, that is the time to see the Lord. That's the time to say, I am coming to you. I can't see you in all this. I don't know where you are. I'm, I'm, I'm not clear. But I know you and I love you and I want you. And more than anything in my life, I have to reconnect with you. This is the meaning of the desert. People talk about a, uh, a desert experience spiritually. So what is the desert? The de desert is a place where there are no distractions. The desert is a place vis visually. You know that most of, the, most of our, our land, most of the land of Israel is, is midbar. It's, it's desert. It's the, it's the Negev. It's this, it's this vast, vast area. It's mostly rocks and sand, and and when you are when you are there, uh, it's so easy to imagine what it was like for the patriarchs to wander in that desert. Or Yeshua, Yeshua went into the into the wilderness of Yuda on the other side uh, from Jerusalem. We have lots of wonderful and correctly inspiring thoughts about Jerusalem, but not far from Jerusalem on the other side, uh, toward the east, uh, toward the the river Yarden. It's, it is desert. It's the beginning of the desert, high, kind of high desert uh, area where Yeshua was tempted for 40 days. This time is a time to say, where are you? And that's okay. I hope that you, I think that probably this congregation has an advantage because of, of the nature of your, 
spiritual parentage uh, in, in, in this wonderful shepherd and shepherdess and others who are leading here is that you're not big on, how do I want to describe it, a lot of varnish. You know, it's not about, well, let me, if I just put enough, enough varnish, you know, on this old dried up wood of mine, I'll look good anyway. It's not about looking good. You know, are you with me? Do you understand that? It's not about, it's not about presenting a good front to other people. It's, it's really about um, going after God, going after Him honestly. And in the times when we're being reduced, when something we feel that we're being stripped down and the heat is being applied to us, um, it's getting hot. That is the time to say, Lord, where are you? I want to see. We have a lot of songs about this. I'm not sure how much we think about what we're singing when we sing it, myself included. But we have songs about this, that we want to see Yeshua. And this is a, this is a song to sing. These are the words to cry, not even to sing it as a nice song. Lord, where are you? I believe that, that Isaiah himself, you know, I don't know how you look at it when you're, when you're reading the prophets, when you're reading these authors, But one of the things that I love the most about the Word of God is that that the Lord tells it like it is and He shows His people walking through a lot of, excuse me, Rabbi, crud, walking through failure, walking through uh, adultery, walking through uh, idolatry, walking through the things uh, that are addictive and the things that um, uh, that are not pretty and the things that are... Uh, uh, not presentable to others. And Isaiah was crying out. And let's, let's just follow this a little bit farther. Okay, so he has this magnificent, magnificent revelation of God. And how does he respond? Verse 5. And so, you know, you could imagine he's got this, this revelation of God. And one thing he could do, you know, he could jump, he could leap, he could dance, he could, he could blow a shofar, uh, he could write a book, he could write a song, uh, he could grab his guitar. I mean, there's all kinds of things that he could do, right? But this is his reaction. Oi! <laughs> Literally, that's what it says in the Hebrew text. Oi! <laughs> Oi, Lee! Woe is me. And by the way, you might moderate your use of phrases like that. Oi ve or oi vavoy, Because it's a strong word. It's not just a casual thing. Oi means woe. Woe is me. This thing, this thing is undoing me because why? Why does he feel undone? What does he realize about himself when he sees the purity of the Lord? I am unclean. I am undone. I am unready. It's not good English, but anyway, I needed a third un and I didn't see it in the text, but I thought that kind of summed it up. I ain't ready for this. I'm not, I'm not ready. And I, I, this was the personal experience that I had as well when I saw the Lord lifted up, not lifted up in this sense, but lifted up on the, on the, on the tree of execution, the tree of, of crucifixion on the cross. I saw him and I realized how absolutely impure and arrogant and messed up I was on the inside. And I thought I was a really cool, pure, organic, happening hippie. But Yeshua saw me a little bit differently and when he saw me that way, I, I got it. You know, I got it. I said, okay, you're right. 
but now what do I do about it? And then I looked into his eyes further and I realized that, that he was giving me the answer as well as giving me the diagnosis, which was, it's me. I'm, I'm bearing, I'm bearing your, your yuckiness. This is what I'm hanging here for. I'm pure, you're impure. Because I'm pure, I can take your impurity and I can make you pure. So why did I eat all of that brown rice and all of those vegetables? Would you tell me? Let's try to get pure. Yes, it's good for me. Oh, quick advertisement. I still like brown rice and vegetables. Okay. Isaiah says, I can't handle this. I don't know what I'm doing. I have felt that ever since November 12th, 1992, when I landed in Israel. All this looks very pretty on the slides, but the reality behind the slides is I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how this happened. I don't know how, 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 did, how did these congregations get, get born and established. Humanitarian aid, all the rest of it. Nine grandchildren. Well, I kind of know how that happened. <laughs> For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Inadequacy is part of the bargain. I want to repeat that. Because sometimes it looks like from the advertising. It looks like from, from videos, DVD, television, concerts, I don't know what. It looks like you're supposed to present this whole thing in a very, very nice package. It looks like it's supposed to be stage-worthy. And I'm not against presentations. I think they have a place. I'm not against dancers. I'm not against good music. I'm a musician myself. I love to play music. I love to do that stuff. But there is no way that any of us is adequate in and of ourselves to, to be anything for God. And that's a, safety, that's a safety factor, you see, because I don't have anything to boast about. I can, I can go through this whole spiel with you, and at the end of the spiel I can say, how did this happen? This is truly amazing. How did God grab some lost, uh, flablungent, hippie, confused, absolutely uh, 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 mishugi guy from the, from the high mountains of New Mexico living in, in, a, in a, a, a log cabin, you know, with mud in the spaces, and, and, and do anything. But this is the way each one of our lives are. It doesn't matter where we start. Isaiah is saying, I, I'm inadequate. I don't have the education. I don't have the talent. Oh, if only I was learned. I walk into this guy's library and I faint. <laughs> For one thing, because I would like to read the books and know that I can't, don't have time. For another thing, I faint from nachat, you say nachas, from pride because of how much I love, admire, and, and have watched and prayed with the man. And the books don't make a man, it's, it's the heart on the inside. But this is, this is the combination that God loves. Name anybody that's doing anything that you look at and say, oh, if only. Bogus, people, bogus. That's not where it's at. 
where it's at is here is Isaiah and he just he just comes he gets out from behind the pulpit <laughs> and he just says Inini, here I am because in the next lines after he says I'm undone then God brings the coal right and cleanses his lips God brings the fire God brings the atonement this is what that's all indicating God brings the purification he says, I'm impure. God says, I can take care of that. He says, I'm unclean. I said, God says, I've got it covered. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm not ready. God says, I'll, I'll equip you. What I need is you, Isaiah. And so God says, whom can I send? And before Isaiah says, send me, what does he say? Go ahead, look at it. What does he say? He doesn't say, send me first. God says, whom shall I send? Here am I. Inani. Beloved, what you do comes out of who you are. I know you've heard that. I just want, I just felt this morning I needed to remind you. Hinani is a statement of being. It's not a statement of doing. It's not a statement of going. We can't go. We can't do. There's nothing for us to make. There's nothing for us to extend ourselves into. Oftentimes, we're, we're busy, busy. We're so doing, doing that we forget that being part, the old story of Miriam and Marta, you know, that the Marta is like just, she's creating a storm in the kitchen, and Miriam is, she's sitting at Yeshua's feet. She's going, I can't get over you. How is it possible that one human being could contain such holiness, such eternity, such goodness, such power? I can't get over you. And she just keeps looking at him. She's beholding him and she's being transformed as she's being beheld, as, as she's beholding him. This is, this is part and parcel of this account is that the transformation that each of us longs for I long for it. There is no such thing as a finished product in this room. No such thing. And that's good. Don't resent it. Don't feel, oh man. I, you know, this guy James, 40 years. Shishkoff, 39 years. I'm 37 or 27 or 17 or 7 years. It doesn't matter. And you're going, what? Where is it? Where's the fruit? Where's the... My soul longs for some fruit. I want to see some change. I want to be a different person. I'm not satisfied. I don't like the way I interact with people. Ugh, that conversation I just had. I just got off the phone. Why did I say that? That was so stupid. Or why was my mouth shut and I couldn't open it? And all the rest of the second guessing that we do. Hello? And God is saying, I want you to behold me. The key is in beholding me. If you look at yourself, you, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing there to encourage you. Uh, Gary remembers and, and, and Lee remembers this. We had a, a, a visiting speaker that used to come to us several times back at Beth Messiah. And uh, you remember how he would say it? He would say, uh, look around um, and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look above and be be blessed, be refreshed, yeah. 
because inside of me, there's only all that I've ever known, which is not the person that I'm, I'm becoming. You know, it's sort of like what Yeshua said. If you, if you look behind, I did some plowing back in the mountains. If you've got your, your hands on a plow and you look behind you, what's going to happen to the row that you're, that you're plowing? That's, that's, that's another little advertisement not to do what I occasionally do, which is look at my, my phone when I'm driving. Don't do that. Here I am. The theme that we were led to in prayer for our, our national teen conference this summer was being real. And uh, maybe this is a good point to sort of conclude. I want to encourage you young people again. It's not about faking. Don't fake. Yeshua knows who you are. The real power is in being real. And if that reality is not the prettiest, okay, you don't have to overemphasize that. But share, share what's happening. Others mostly share it with the Lord. And he's going to transform you out of that honesty. But I want to say it to the, the, uh, the more senior of our citizens as well. Being real is being free. And this is what was happening to Isaiah. I believe that God was burning stuff out of him. Most likely there was religious stuff in there, wasn't there? Lord, burn the religious stuff out of us. We don't need a religious glaze. We're not, we're not trying to impress anybody. But when you are living in us and when we are being changed, that's, that, has, that has flavor. That's, that's got some savor that people are going to be drawn to. That's part of that saltiness that the, the apostles said that we were to use words that were gracious and seasoned with salt. I want to make sure that I'm not forgetting anything as I conclude. Um, I've gone over time, but I just, I just want to reference, I want to direct you. I, won't, uh, I don't have um, time to read a bunch of verses, but would you please, as a follow-up to this message, Shiwei uh, Bait, can I can I give some homework? Okay, this is good homework. You don't have to write anything, unless God inspires you. But I want you to read the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians, even if you've read it recently, please go back and reread because this book goes together with what we were discussing about Isaiah. It goes together with disillusionment. Uh, Here's one place that's just really powerful. He says, we were in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure. This is the first chapter, verse 8. I just jumped in. We were burdened beyond measure above strength, but we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Why? That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And throughout this book, basically this is the most biogra- autobiographical uh, of Paul's writings that I, that I have found because he's really opening himself up, which is another thing that I love about the Psalms. Don't you love that about the Psalms? Uh, the Psalmists, uh, David especially, just tell it like it is. Just say, you know, 
oh man, I am having a terrible day. God, where are you? You disappeared. What happened to you? Things used to be bright and they got dark. You know, I can't, I can't handle this. Really, that's the way he's talking. You know, we, we, I shall call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And so I shall be saved from mine enemies. What do you think? That's the way that he was talking. You know? He was talking dukri. He was speaking. He was telling it like it is. It's what we need to do with God. And he's, and he's going to change us through, through those furnaces, through those times. Um, hmm. And the next page he goes, uh, who's sufficient for these things? I love that line. And then in the next chapter, a few verses later, he goes, we have such trust through Messiah toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, servants, messengers, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And I'm going to restrain myself from going on. Of course, the classic um, uh, statement uh, a little bit later uh, in the book about God making his strength perfect in our weakness what is all this for? I just read it is so that the life of Yeshua may be manifest in each of us. Would you stand with me, please? Adonai, we have seen you. We want to see you more. And as we have seen you and as we have glimpsed your holiness, we realize our impurity, and we, we can understand that in comparison to you, that there's much that is pitiful about us. But amazingly, that's not the way you look at us. You look at us with such love. You look at us with such even uh, a paternal pride. You look at us with hope. You see promise where we see discouragement. You see victory where we see defeat. You see joy where we see sorrow. You see achievement and advance where we see failure and, um, and hang-ups and delays. Mighty God, mighty God, cleanse us. Lord, we ask you to cleanse us right now. Uh, this is a suggestion. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, great. But uh, I just feel uh, uh, this thing about you know, lifting a hand or hands and, uh, and, just, and just inviting God. Invite Him now. Invite Him to wash through the disappointments. Invite Him to wash through the disillusionments. Invite Him to wash through the failures. Invite Him to wash through the stuff that hasn't worked out the way that you wish that it, that it would have. Invite Him to wash through whatever set of goals you established that hasn't been achieved by this time and you thought long ago it should have been achieved. Invite Him to wash through the relationships that haven't uh, borne fruit the way that you had hoped and the people that you haven't loved as you would have had them, uh, that you would wanted to have loved them or those that you feel have not loved you. All of it, all of it, all of it. Lord, wash through. Wash through. Send your cleansing. Send your mercy, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for a new day. We thank you, Lord, and so we present ourselves and we say, Inenu, here we are. 
Go ahead, tell them in your own language, in your own way. It doesn't have to be one word. It could be several. God, here's my life. I give it back to you. I present it back to you. This is not some phony thing. This is something that, that is valuable to repeat and to rehearse on a regular basis. Part of what I'm doing here is coaching you. It's not just about this moment. This moment will pass really soon and we'll go on to other stuff in the day. But, but I want to coach you and encourage you that at the, at the moment when you're, you're so frustrated that you want to curse, you're so, you're so blinded by what's going on that you want to weep your eyes out, that, that you're so angry with somebody for not getting it, that you're so alone and feeling that there's, that there's no one you can turn to, that is the time to say, here I am. This is me, God. I'm standing. I'm still alive. I'm on the earth. I know that you see me. I want to see you. Everything that I am or have ever been is yours. I put it all on the altar before you. I am as a sacrifice on the altar. Take me. Take me whole, Lord God. It's the meaning of the whole burnt offering in Torah. Can you, can you grasp that that, that, that we become a living sacrifice according to the words of Shaul? And so what is that? That is to place myself on the altar, not because God wants to destroy me, but because he wants to consume me in the passionate fire of his love and reignite my own heart. Lord, reignite our hearts. Would you do it by your spirit? We ask you to, to cause us to come back again to a place of excitement about you, to a place of hope and expectation about you because it is about you. It's your ability. We cannot do very much, but you can do all things and we can do all things through you because you strengthen us. Thank you, Yeshua. Thank you, Yeshua. And finally, then we can say, send me, use me, however you want to, Lord. In all ways, small and great, help me not miss the very simplest ways that you want to use me. To play with a child, to give somebody a flower, to write a thank you note, to write a, an encouraging note. I have a second cousin. She's the daughter of my cousin and a very spiritual girl. She's very much into Eastern mysticism um, does some pretty amazing humanitarian projects in India, actually. And we've, I just connected. I was with her when my sister called and said I needed to come out to be with my dad. And when I was with her, I was so um, acutely aware of her spiritual openness. And, and she, to her, doesn't turn her off that I believe in the Bible. Um, she just, she tunes into the, the fact that I've built my life on a spiritual foundation that God's given me and she's drawn to that. And so I, I was thinking all these things about her and, and I felt prompted of the Lord to just give her some feedback and encouragement, not to preach to her or witness to her, but just to say, I, I, see, I see how much you long for a life, you know, that's this way. And I just wrote that in a simple email and she wrote me back. She was absolutely touched. There are people in your life that something might seem so obvious to you. Now's the time to say it. I'll just wrap up with this. My wife, uh, after my mom passed away in April, wrote this beautiful piece to give to my dad 
in his grieving. And she wrote about how important it is while people are still alive to say thank you, to forgive them, to love them, to commend them, to acknowledge what they've given to us. And um, that's a, a good place for me to say thank you. I want to acknowledge all of you. Thank you for this really special time to be with you today. Let's take some time to worship the Lord. I know we've, we've been running late, but uh, have you been hearing from God this morning? Don't let the moment go away. Um, whether in your seat, talk to the Lord and say, Lord, Hineni. Or come up and uh, pray with us. We'd love to encourage you to press forth. As the Lord has been speaking to you, say, Hineni, here I am. I am willing and eager to see you do your work in me. So if you sit or you stand, we're, we're going to be worshiping the Lord for a few minutes. We'll conclude with that. Um, take a moment or so to, to do your business with the Lord. <laughs>